Hey, it's Todd Duncan. Welcome to High Trust Today, the podcast. I'm on a quest to help people win in business and in life. To do that, I know they must trust themselves, their relationships, their business, and they most certainly must trust their future. When you do that, you set in motion a universe of possibilities, and that journey begins right now. The more and more and more I study attitude, the more and more and more convinced I am that most people don't get it. And I'm really excited about this lesson, not for the final reason of my excitement, which I'll share with you as we go through it, but because right now I'm in the midst of researching my next book and I'm really leaning towards coming down this pathway where I really give some thought to what I'm going to call the attitude matrix. And it's nine different decisions that people make in their life that change their attitude and thus change their life. I got to thinking about, you know, salespeople and I got to thinking about the tens of thousands of people that my company and I have an opportunity to impact every single month. And every single salesperson that I can recall talking to in the last several months that's got a problem has an attitude problem. And I have to say that in all truthfulness. And if you're one that came up to me in the last couple of months and began to talk to me about something that you were struggling with or having a challenge with, it's so often true that underlying the struggle and underlying the challenge is an underlying poor attitude. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that that means you woke up with a bad attitude or that you're wired to be a pessimist or that you just kind of think, woe is me and never get anything done. But I do want you to know this, as I have surveyed over 452 top performing salespeople that earn in excess of a quarter of a million dollars all the way up to two and a half million dollars a year in income, I'm convinced that the better your attitude, the farther you go. And so the title of this lesson is Put Some Wind in Your Sales. Attitude, put some wind in your sales. And obviously the double entendre there, kind of the sales, uh, the sale, if you will, to push yourself forward, but the sales that come from a positive attitude. Here's my thesis as we work on this. The most important single factor that guarantees good results day in, day out, all the months and years of our lives is a healthy attitude. I love studying, and you who know me know that I spend an awful lot of time listening to tapes and reading books and learning from the masters. And I need to get your mindset really in the right direction right now because I think it's always probably easy to say, I've heard this before. But I think it's important that you understand that if that's what you're saying, you're destined for mediocrity. I was amazed recently at our sales mastery event that several people had made the comment that, well, we've heard this before. You know, and I sit here and I look at all the people that have heard this before. And my question is, then why are you still at where you heard it the first time? You may have listened to different things and read different books and gone to different seminars and studied different tapes and CDs. But if you're not ahead of where you were when you made that investment, then I just like to ask you to maybe check your attitude. Check how you're looking at the things that get in the way of performing at the highest level possible. I got a gift recently from a dear friend of mine, George Akers, and he is a not only a great friend, but a great client. He's in our master's coaching group, and we were up in Sun River, Oregon, and we were working through just some great conversational time. The sun was beginning to go down, and he told me about this book that he got, and it's called The Royal Path of Life. It was written in 1879, and he shared with me kind of an excerpt that he had gotten out of it, and I showed some intrigue and told him that I was interested in the book, and four weeks later, I had one of the most wonderful gifts that I've ever received on my desk. This book is 597 pages long, and it was written in 1879. But what struck me when I began to get into the book was the first 
paragraph. I want to share it with you before we get into this topic called attitude. The authors say, The subject matter of this book, Success and Happiness, has been the consideration of every eminent pen, from the days of Solomon to the present. To say anything strictly new would be impossible, nor would we presume that our knowledge and experience would be as valuable as the maxims of the wise and the sublime truths which have become a part of the standard literature. The best, therefore, that anyone can expect to do is to recombine the experience of the past and compile such thoughts and extracts as have chimed in with the testimony of earnest and aspiring minds and offer them in a novel and fascinating form. Isn't that incredible? I mean, just imagine that that was written in 1879, 123 or four years ago. And these guys are saying then there's nothing new. It would be presumptuous for them as authors to think that in this 597-page, unbelievable, three-and-a-half-inch-thick book called The Royal Path of Life, that they would have the secret, all right? It would be presumptuous of me to think that what I'm about to share with you on attitude, you've never heard before. But what is appropriate, what is, I think, important, is to offer context and maybe state things in a way that all of a sudden it shows up on your radar screen for success. And you begin to realize and understand that, you know what, everything that is true has been stated. I mean, everything that works, everything that's true, you know, short of inventions that have not yet been invented, everything we know about human performance has been stated now, we might find some more things in years to go, but we got the Olympic programs and the surveys and the conditioning programs and the studies and the mental hookups on the athletes' brains when they think and visualize and we're able to see where they go. I mean, we've got so much at our fingertip. And yet, every single day, the question is, how are you doing in the area of attitude? And so while this book is 123 or 4 years old, I reached into some of the older stuff that I have and found a great audio album that I've listened to. I don't know how many times, but it's by the rich, deep-voiced Earl Nightingale called Lead the Field. And I went back through some of my notes that I took in the mid-70s as I began to understand personal motivation and goal setting and what it was going to take to be successful in business. And one of the things I wrote down that Earl Nightingale said is in your notes, attitude is the magic word. Now, I don't know where you need magic in your sales business or in your life for that matter, but i got to tell you that attitude is the precursor that's going to take you there. Well, what is attitude? It's defined in your notes as the position or bearing as indicating action, feeling, or mood. Okay, so where are you? What bearing do you have? And it is the precursor, which would indicate action, feeling, or mood. Earl Nightingale also said in my notes that it's our attitude in life that determines life's attitude towards us. Isn't that an interesting thought? You know, what you give out is what life gives back. And if you give out bad, you get back bad. If you give out average, you get back average. If you give out excellence, you will tend to get back excellence. But I love just how this is stated. It's our attitude in life that determines life's attitude toward us. So what role does our attitude play? I think it plays an incredibly important role. There's five different roles that I think it plays, and I want to share those with you. And I would hope that these five different areas at least become catalytic to some change that you might make in terms of how you're going to manage your attitude and what impact that's ultimately going to have on your life and your business. Well, our attitude plays five roles at least. Number one, it determines our course. 
So if you write that word in, our attitude determines our course. It determines where you and where I are going. It is our course. And our course is made up of three things. Moods, feelings, and actions. And I'd like to have you think of them in that order. Moods, feelings, and action. Moods first affect feeling. Feeling affects action. Action determines your course. So attitude is very, very important relative to that kind of recipe, if you will, for forward progress. Our attitude also tells others our expectations. If I come into a meeting and I've got a smile on my face and I'm optimistic in my initial words and I've just kind of got that, not over the top, but that charisma, if you will, you know what it does? It tells others that I expect that from them. But if I come into a meeting with a straight face, locked lip, non-eventful physiology, and don't demonstrate any outward positiveness or charisma, then I'm going to get that back. It tells everybody else that this is going to be a mediocre meeting. It's going to be an average meeting. I believe this wholeheartedly. In fact, here's an exercise you can do. For one day, Make a habit of smiling in the seconds before you say anything as you approach anybody, whether it's your spouse in the hallway in the morning, your kids after school, a prospect that you're approaching. Make a habit of smiling for the five to ten seconds before you begin to say anything, and you'll be amazed to watch that transformation begin to occur on your clients or your wife's or your husband's or your kid's face. I mean, it's just you know the drill here. So it tells others what our expectations are, and expectations are the precursor to reality. Number three, it shapes our progress. Okay, Our attitude definitely shapes our progress, and depending on how it shapes our progress, if it shapes it positively, then it enlarges our possibilities. I am a firm believer that this is not about the glass being half full, and this is not about the glass being half empty. I think that this is about the glass overflowing. And I think that part of what we need to understand in selling particularly is that if we've got the kind of solid, positive, sincere attitude in all of our dealings, the possibilities of who we deal with, how long we deal with, how much we get when dealing with them, enlarges, it grows exponentially. How can it be that two salespeople that work for the exact same company that have been with that company for exactly the same period of time, who have the same profile of clients, who have the same products and the same pricing and everything else the same, how can it be that one so drastically outperforms the other? Well, all studies lead towards inherent optimism. All studies lead towards this idea of a positive attitude. I don't want you to think as you go through this that, you know, all you do every day is take a PMA pill, you know, a positive mental attitude pill. It's not that at all. And I don't want you also to just kind of sweep this idea of attitude under the carpet because, oh, I've heard this before. Sure, you've heard it before. You've heard everything before. But if you're still wanting to go to places you haven't been, then you definitely need to continue to check how you're doing with the stuff you've already heard and already learned. And I don't think any of us, I mean, I teach this and I find myself having negative moments of attitude. And so I know that we're all in this together, but I want you to realize progress is a function of attitude. And if your progress is based on a positive attitude, the possibilities are enlarged dramatically. How does attitude also affect us? What role does it play beyond these three things? I believe that attitude is the fabric of our character. A character is who we are becoming 
on the inside first, then manifested on the outside. So what kind of character does a top-performing salesperson have? Well, they've got a character that is integrous. They have a character that adds value. Their character is that of confident and bold. Their reputation is pure. Their attitude is always going to be mostly positive, except in those moments in time where they're going through character-shaping decisions and choices. And then after that, obviously, it becomes positive again. But character is the sum result of everything that's inside. And attitude drives everything that's inside. It drives your joy. It drives your gentleness. It drives your self-discipline. It drives your faithfulness. It drives your consistency. It drives your tenacity. It drives everything about you. Attitude is the one thing. In fact, you know, I'd like to write a book called The Secret Is There Is No Secret. And I want it to be about attitude. You know, attitude is, it is the secret that is no secret, but it is the engine that takes you everywhere, everywhere. And character is the manifestation of all the things that attitude determines. Number five, it determines our joy and our happiness. If our attitude is positive, if it's an attitude that is not fake, if it's real, if it's from the heart, if our veins and our blood exude this type of condition and mood and feeling, which is positive, then we're going to experience great joy. We're going to experience great happiness. And everybody I talk to desires at some level more joy and happiness. We all desire more joy and happiness. And so as we work through this, that's the role that attitude plays. That's the big aha. Here's a truth to be reconciled, okay? And I want you to test yourself on this. Most people don't consciously control their attitude. What do I mean by that? I mean that we have not made it a habit to control our attitude. I'll give you an example. Oftentimes in the business of selling, I ask somewhat of a redundant question, and it's this question. How many of you have ever experienced call reluctance? And everybody, you know, raises their hand and many of them laugh. Well, let me just tell you something. Call reluctance is a manifestation of a attitude prior to a call that isn't being controlled. Okay, now just think of it that way, all right? That's all call reluctance is. It's an attitude about a call that isn't being controlled. Okay, and you can take this reality and you can apply it to anything in the selling business, okay? Having a client that you don't enjoy doing business with, but you continue to do business with them. All that is is an attitude about the risk of whether you should or shouldn't continue. That's an attitude. It's something that you have an opportunity to control, but you're not. And that's why so many salespeople continue to do business with people that they don't like. Example, if you leave the office at the end of the day and you are frustrated because your time was completely misused and abused, okay? I'll take you all the way back to the first moment in time that day that you had an interruption, and I'm going to say to you that your attitude wasn't in control about that interruption. And you began to have a negative attitude. It was an interruption. You engaged in letting the interruption take place, and that further perpetuated a negative attitude because you weren't in control of that attitude in the first place. Maybe you do sales presentations, and you have a little bit of that nervousness, maybe that public speaking kind of nervousness, which is a very real issue for a lot of people, but I'll tell you that nervousness before a speech is a manifestation of an attitude about what is about to happen that isn't under control. 
you can change the perception and the expectation of a presentation that you're about to offer by controlling your attitude. Oftentimes we come home and we are pulling into the driveway and you know the garage door is going up and most of us are on autopilot as we pull through the drive into the garage and as we put the car in park and turn off the engine and as we get out of the car and as we go through the door and as we then see our family for the first time maybe in seven or eight hours. And if we haven't managed the attitude that needs to be in our mind's eye before walking through that door after a hard day, I will tell you, we'll have a hard evening. See, these are all consciously controlled decisions about how you will think of things internally so that they manifest themselves externally in a positive way. Here's a simple relationship in your notes. Attitude out, arrow, results in. Okay, That's exactly the simplicity and yet the great difficulty of attitude. Attitude out results in. Great attitude equals great results. Okay, Think about golf. Just think about this. And I can tell you right now that two weeks ago, I shot a 96, and three days ago, I shot an 86. I have to tell you something. When I shot a 96, I had a really bad attitude. I was down at the very bottom there. Poor attitude equaled poor results. Every single time I hit a bad ball, I set myself up to hit another bad ball, and another bad ball, and another bad ball. And yet, when I shot my 86... It was amazing because I had a whole different upfront thought process as I navigated my stance, as I checked my grip, as I looked at the ball and my club face, as I took the club back. And I have to tell you something. I mean, golf is the great equalizer, isn't it? I mean, you can have uh, you have a bad shot and a good shot. And if you end on the good shot, you'll have a better attitude next time you play golf. If you end on the bad shot, I mean, the 96 that I got, I'll tell you that the 18th hole, I parred. And that was the only thing good about the entire round was that I left the last hole par and I knew that obviously I could play the game of golf. I just hadn't done it on 17 holes. Isn't this interesting though? Great attitude, great results. Good attitude, good results. Fair attitude, fair results. Poor attitude, poor results. And whatever our predominant thought is, it perpetuates the same kind of result. Only you and only I can make the decision that we're going to change our attitude and change it we must in so many cases. But why is it so hard? Well, it's hard because it's not easy. Now, I know that sounds kind of stupid, but it's hard because it's not easy. If it were easy, everybody would be positive. But what makes the difference, what makes the difference is managing it. I love what John Maxwell says about attitude. He says, attitude is the advanced man of our true selves. Its roots are inward, but its fruits are outward. It is our best friend or our worst enemy. It is more honest and more consistent than our words. It is an outward look based on past experiences. It is a thing which draws people to us or repels them. It is never content until it is expressed. Just take a look at the attitude called anger on that one. It is the librarian of our past. It is the speaker of our present. It is the prophet of our future. That's powerful. See, attitudes determine your success. They determine mine. For example, what is your attitude? I'd like you to write in a bunch of stuff right now, and I just want to force some thought here to have you kind of see the power of this, okay? What is your attitude towards success? Okay, what is your attitude towards success? Do you have an attitude of fearing it, or do you have an attitude of embracing it? 
What is your attitude towards sacrifice? Do you have an attitude of pain now so you can play later? Or is your attitude, I'd rather play now and I'll pay later? What is your attitude towards achievement? Have you reached one benchmark and think it's over? Or have you not even approached the risk, the thing you know you want to do? Or is your attitude towards achievement that it is nothing more than a stepping stone to great accomplishment? What is your attitude towards failure? Are you failure resistant or failure resilient? What is your attitude towards learning? Are you making the same mistakes you've always made? Okay. Or do you have a fear of reading or listening or learning because it'll force some accountability? What is your attitude towards learning? What is your attitude towards making calls? Are you reluctant or are you excited? Are you fearful or are you faithful? Do you know that there's a reason why you're making the call? Is it purposeful? Is it not purposeful? What is your attitude towards handling objections? Do they excite you? Do they paralyze you? Is it something you've not controlled or is it something you could control better? What is your attitude towards asking for the business in the moments leading up to what you hope will be the end of the sale and the successful culmination of an event that should transfer you know, some economic opportunity to you? In those moments, do you start getting afraid because you're already kind of putting on to that situation? They might say no. Or do you embrace the idea that if I ask for the business, I'll know once and for all where I stand? What is your attitude towards investing in the future? I've got to tell you something right now. This is a real big one. There are so many opportunities for you to invest in your own future. What is your attitude towards making a two or three or four hundred dollar investment in some kind of learning program? What's your attitude towards spending five or ten thousand dollars a year on a coach? What is your attitude towards hiring that first or second or third assistant? You know, is your attitude one of excitement because you know you're building something that is big and that will outlive you, or is your attitude that of fear because you don't want to part with the money? What is your attitude towards expectations? Do you expect the best or do you expect the worst? Do you expect good things or do you expect bad things? What's your attitude towards gratitude? Are you grateful for all, quote, you ready, negative circumstances? I did a lesson several months ago called Silver Lining Living, and the thesis of that lesson was all problems teach you something positive. And you ought to be grateful for every single situation that you encounter on a regular basis because there's something to be learned from it. But what is your attitude towards them? Now, you look at all of these things and you start to think, you know, there's 11 different things that I put there. And certainly we could ask a whole bunch more questions about what is your attitude towards marital problems? What is your attitude towards a declining business? What is your attitude to, you know, competitive products? What is your attitude towards being overweight? What is your attitude towards, you know, any addiction that you have? And as a sales professional, while we'll stay on that theme, the attitudes you have in all areas of your life affect how you will sell how you will do business, all right? And if we kind of pull back a little bit and just ask, okay, what's the cost? What's the cost of a bad attitude? Well, you know, here are 10 things you could write down pretty quickly. As a child, if you have a bad attitude, it could cost you your grades. I mean, you've seen it. You recall maybe the days that you were in school, and you could see the kids that just didn't have the right attitude, didn't have the right approach, didn't have kind of the commitment that you thought that they should have, assuming yours was positive. And the A students and the B students and the C students and the D students and the F students are almost always defined more by attitude than by intellect. The cost of a bad attitude, well, it could be a job. 
Many a person has been fired because of a bad attitude. Okay, many a person has not gotten the job of their dreams because the interviewer could see that there might be an attitude issue there. What's the cost of a bad attitude? It could be a promotion. How many people have gotten looked over and then therefore are sealed out in this ladder of success because they don't have the attitude of a leader. They don't have the attitude of influence and replication and significance and all those things that go into being a great leader. And so consequently, they never go anywhere. The cost of a bad attitude, you know, you show me a salesperson with a bad attitude and I'll show you a salesperson who's not making sales. So the cost of a bad attitude obviously could be your orders, the number of deals you get, the number of sales you make. What's another cost of a bad attitude? Relationships. You know, relationships that are underperforming, social relationships where you by default are hanging with the wrong people because their attitude and yours are alike. You think about any relationship that you have and I'm telling you right now that it will be a reflection of the attitude that you possess. And so obviously if you want different relationships, you have to learn how to fix your attitude. Here are five more. A cost of a bad attitude will affect your health. This is not going to be a surprise to you, but there are a lot of people that wake up knowing they're supposed to go work out and their attitude is, I don't want to, and they roll back over. Okay, That's a cost of a bad attitude, and over time, it could cost you your entire health. I get so excited when I see people that come through our seminars or send me emails or pictures where they have their before and afters, and they've lost you know, 50 or 60. We've had a couple of people who've lost over 150 pounds because all of a sudden they changed their attitude. Let me give you just a real easy kind of analogy here. Are you losing weight or gaining thin? All that is, is for the person who might be a little bit overweight or a lot overweight, the idea of losing weight, okay, is contexted in the form of a negative word, lose, okay? The idea of getting thin, first of all, the picture of thin is much better than the picture of too much weight, and the idea of losing and winning can be thought of entirely differently. I would like to win. I'd like to gain, okay? That's a positive word. I'd like to gain thin. Okay, what's your approach towards that? The cost of a bad attitude could absolutely ruin a marriage or make it lackluster and not really even being in where all you do is pass in the hallway as roommates, not lovers and people that are committed to each other for life. The cost of a bad attitude can ruin your finances. We know a lot of people, and you probably do too, that have the wrong attitude towards money, and as a result, they don't have any. That which you squeeze too much or try to hold on to, you lose. That which you give away, you get more of. I love giving money away. I love good causes that we can invest in. I love writing a check to Building Champions New Ministry International Coaching Division. I love that. I love helping my friend John Maxwell. I love not worrying about the blessing of how much money I may have received over time. I don't worry about that. I love the blessing I get by giving what I've received over time away. And it just so happens that, you know, I tend to continue to get more. It's just that idea of give it away and it'll come back. A bad attitude can ruin your self-esteem. I mean, if you've got a bad attitude, you're not going to feel good about you. If you don't feel good about you, you're not going to do anything good. It's that simple. And the cost of bad attitude can ruin your legacy. I love just giving this to you in pretty simple thought. Remember again, 1879, The Royal Path of Life. The two authors, T.L. Haynes and L.W. Yaggy, simply said, you know what? We can't tell you anything new about success and happiness. Okay, we can say it in a way that might compel you. That's all I'm trying to do. I want you to keep this really simple. Attitude 101. How are you doing? 
Do you know the basics? Goethe said that before you can do something, you must be something. And I think what's important to understand here is that you're never, I'm never going to be what we desire to be in business, what we desire to be as husbands or wives or mothers or fathers. We are never going to be able to do anything unless we first decide to be that thing. So let me say this to you this way. You can't go have a positive attitude until you decide to be positive. It's the manifestation on the outside of who you are becoming or being on the inside. So I'd like for you to make a decision right now. I'll make it with you. I'm going to decide to be a person with a great attitude. How about you? Would you like to be a person that makes a decision right now to have a great attitude? Let me give you nine nuggets on attitude to boost your sales effectiveness. I'm going to keep this very focused in on sales, okay? Obviously, there's all kinds of impact outside of the business of selling, but let me give these nuggets to you, and I'll just kind of give them to you in a fast and kind of straightforward way, and you see how they kind of work for you. Number one, start the day with a, surprise, surprise, positive attitude. Start the day with a positive attitude. How you get out of bed (laughs) starts how you live your day. And I don't know what you do in the morning. I don't know what your routine is. I don't know what your ritual is. But I have to tell you something. Before you get out of your bedroom, it would be good for you to make a decision to have a positive attitude. I believe this. It's my quote in your notes. It says, the way you start often determines the way you end. Today is the day to begin anew, for it is too rich with opportunity to waste a moment on yesterday. So maybe the question as you go from the bed to the coffee pot ought to be, what's good about today? Okay, maybe the question ought to be, what could I accomplish today? Maybe the question ought to be, how's my attitude going to be today? And maybe that's just an intellectual thought process that you might go through. But another thing that you might want to do is decide the things that give you a positive attitude early on in the day. Decide those things. I'll give you an example. I know that if I can spend a few moments in quiet time, prayer, devotion, that typically starts to center my attitude for the day. I know if even in the coolness of the morning and the darkness of the impending dawn, I know that if I go out and jump on my bike and ride down to the beach and turn around and ride back up to the top of the hill that I live on and do that a couple times, I know that I am physically in a positive state. I know if I make my goodbyes to Cheryl and the boys slow and meaningful, that I leave the house on the way to my car with a positive attitude. I know that between the time I start my car and get to my office, that I can either listen to something that doesn't inspire me or listen to something that does inspire me. And I'll typically, obviously, do the one that inspires me. And I know that when I pull into the parking garage and push the elevator button to go up to my office suite, I know as I go up there, I can be thinking about the opportunities of the day. And I know as soon as I get in there that I can read my life plan and I can be reminded of the things that I'm grateful for and what, to me, is really important about today. And I know that I can tell Amy not to let any phone calls through that would interrupt me and not allow me to enjoy intellectual momentum in researching and studying. And that keeps my attitude positive. And I know throughout the entire day that 3 o'clock will come soon. And I know that 3 o'clock is a magical moment because I get to go down the elevator and get into my car and go to the boys' school and pick them up and see them run out with their smile and gratefulness to see their dad. And I know, I need to say to you, I don't have this perfected But I am consciously all day long recognizing that attitude is a choice. 
And you need to do the same thing. In your notes, it says attitude is a choice. As I read this, just follow along. Most people never think about their attitude at all. For most of them, it's a matter of beginning each day in neutral. Nothing in neutral ever goes forward. Most people's attitudes are neither good nor bad. They are average. They are poised to react to whatever stimuli they encounter. If the stimulus is positive, they will reflect that. If it's bad, they will reflect that too. They are chameleons going through their days reacting to whatever confronts them. And these are the people of our environment. That's why it's so important for us to control our attitudes, to make sure they are excellent or good. Earl Nightingale says in his best-selling audio program, Lead the Field, quote, I'm trying to describe the attitude that has worked so well for me over the years I found myself using two important words, gratitude and expectant. First, I'm grateful for the opportunity to live on this beautiful and astonishing planet Earth. In the morning, I wake up with a sense of gratitude. Secondly, I expect to reach the goals I establish for myself. I find the idea of fulfilling these goals agreeable, hence the attitude of expectancy. I know the world will give me back what I put out in the way of attitude, and so it's up to me. I'm responsible, end quote. Make a decision today and every day to err on the side of positive. What's good about this? What are you grateful for? What do you expect? And look forward to the moments throughout the day that you know buoy your attitude and help you experience the joy and happiness that you know you desire. Here's the second nugget that I think is critical. Look good before you leave your house. Now, this is very, very simple, but I want you to recognize the power of this particular statement. You no doubt and understand, and perhaps the simplicity of it is, when you don't feel you look good and you leave, you leave in a negative attitude. You leave in a negative state. And I'm not suggesting that this is about being vain or this is about trying to be something you're not. I'm just telling you in the field of selling, looking good helps you sell well. A good buddy of mine, Mike Renzi, told me when I was 22 years old, he said, you know, if you want to be a millionaire, you got to look like you are. Now, this is not about gold nugget rings and, you know, this, that, and fancy. I'm talking about just a simple philosophy that Mike shared. As a tailor, he obviously wanted me to look good, and I felt that when I had the kinds of clothes on that I valued, that I thought made me look good, even to this day, I know that there are certain things that I know that I wear that I feel better, and I know there's other things that simply don't get worn anymore because they don't make me feel as good. And I know that you know this, and yet how often do we not just have maybe this little routine before we leave that we've got to look great. I used to tell the story when I had a lot of hair. I don't anymore. But there were moments before I would go out and originate loans, which was the selling business I was in, where if my hair didn't look good, I'd put my head back in the shower and get it wet again, and I'd do it again, and I'd sometimes maybe two or three times because I wanted it to look great. And if it looked great, I felt great. I've retied ties 15 times before a presentation because I just didn't like the way that they looked. Now, you know, I don't know where you're at on this, and yet I do know that the studies have shown that those who look good do good, all right? Henry Ward Beecher, great quote, clothes and manners do not make the man, but when he is made, they greatly improve his appearance. <laughs> That's great. Jeff Colvin tells a story about the fact that his father is an old sales pro and the source of many creative selling solutions. One of his best is a fun motivational idea that we call close the sale. Every year, each salesperson in our company submits personal monthly goals for the coming year. 
Each month, those who achieve their goals win an article of clothing that makes up a suit. For example, first-time goal achievers always win top-quality underwear. Then, for each monthly goal thereafter, the winner gets socks, shoes, shirt, pants, belt, tie, jacket, etc. At the year-end sales meeting and party, the entire sales team must appear on stage in however many or few clothes they won that year. Can you imagine what that might look like at the end of the year? I'm telling you, if you're that salesperson, you want to be completely dressed by the time they have their year-end sales meeting. Well, how do you dress for success when you think about this? Number one, in your notes, your appearance enhances or diverts what you say to your customers. It's that simple. If you feel good about how you look, it'll enhance who you are. If you don't feel good about how you look, it'll divert whatever you say. You won't have the confidence. So it's either enhancing or diverting. It's either making more powerful or taking away from. Your appearance provides, number two, the initial foundation for a customer's opinion of your character, your motive, and your credibility. Okay. Now, I am not talking about anything that is pseudo here. I'm not talking about some false sense of being something you're not. But I'm talking about an inward attitude manifesting itself in an outward appearance. And these two words, it's the initial foundation for a customer's opinion. All right. Now, you may or may not believe this, but I'm telling you, a customer's opinion is formed first by what they see, second by what they hear. So your character your motive, your credibility, those are three things that really determine, you know, who you are as a salesperson that are really kind of supported by your appearance. Finally, number three, your appearance initially conveys your level of respect for your customers, whether it's accurate or not. And so one of the things that I believe you should always do is, as a professional, dress one notch above what would be expected or acceptable. Too oftentimes we don't have this basis and we end up coming into a situation where we're either on parity or maybe a little bit behind where they might be. And it does affect the level of respect that our customers will have. I like this story. President Lincoln turned down an applicant for a job and gave as his reason, I don't like his face. One of the members of his cabinet indicated that he did not think it was a sufficient and satisfactory explanation. Lincoln disagreed. Every man over 40 is responsible for his face. And you may be responsible for yours. You know, the physical part of it, smiling, the look that it conveys based on the clothes that surround it. Listen to this. This is an excerpt from Entrepreneur Online Magazine. Research shows that lasting impressions are formed in four minutes or less. After this, it becomes much more difficult to sell persuade, or influence anyone. Those first four minutes can make or break your efforts. According to the psychology community, more than 90% of the impressions we make have nothing to do with what we say. More than half are based on how we look. So I just think, you know, the second nugget, look good before you leave your house, look good all day long, is a very, very appropriate strategy that will make you feel good. Okay? Number three. Master the art of dealing with people. I really love this as a context for people skills. It, again, is just who I am. But in the New Testament book of Matthew in the Bible, this is the golden rule, Matthew 7:12. Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. 
this is a powerful, powerful thought on attitude. Because if we understand points on people, okay, this is critical. Because I will tell you this. Tony Alessandro, a good friend of mine, he always asks this question of seminar audiences. How many of you have ever had a conflict with another human being? And everybody puts their hands up and laughs. And then he comes right back out and he says, how many of you think you'd get further in life if you could have more chemistry and less conflict? And everybody says yes, all right? Well, I think having a positive attitude has a lot to do with how you deal with people. So here are some major points that I think you ought to just really kind of look at as disciplines for people skills. People like to do business with people they like. This is the essence of what we call rapport. So if people like to do business with people they like, you should be likable. You should be likable. All right, now, this is the essence of rapport. So rapport is an attitude subskill. If you can develop the right rapport, then your attitude obviously will be more positive. Now, what comes first? Okay, I think it's the skill. But you've got to have the attitude towards I want to develop rapport. People like to do business with people they like. Second bullet, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You've heard this. But I'll tell you, one of the great undergirders of attitude is unselfishness. This will undergird your attitude so much more almost than anything else. It's the essence of unselfishness. If I can have as my approach to doing business that of unselfishness, it doesn't mean I give the house away. It doesn't mean that I'm a wet noodle. It doesn't mean I get negotiated out of the game. What it means is I have an unselfish approach. People will pay you more, and they will give you more business when they know that you care. And the best way to demonstrate care is through your unselfishness. Third bullet, people won't add value to you without you first adding value to them. This is the law of reciprocity. And the law of reciprocity simply says you will get more if you give more. You will get more if you give more. And this leads us to number four, which is the law of the scale. And it says giving more to less is how you get more from less, the law of the scale. So these are the major points on people that have to do with this third nugget. And you can take it up several notches here. It's very easy to improve the way that you deal with people. Here's the key in your notes. It says treat every person as if they are the most important person on earth. In selling, they are. Why? Why should we do this? It boosts their self-esteem, and people won't feel good about you until they feel good about themselves. I'd highlight that. I would commit that last part of this box in your notes to memory. The people key. Treat every person as if they are the most important person on earth. In selling, they are, because you're in the midst of the sale right this moment. Why? It boosts their self-esteem, and people won't feel good about you until they feel good about themselves. Now, this is not going to be some long course in psychology. It's just simply this. If I'm approaching you, and I understand the points on people, I want to make you feel good. I want it to be sincere. I don't want it to be fabricated or pushed or manufactured. I want to, from my heart, be able to have you feel that the fact that we are now encountering each other is wonderful. It's golden. It's win-win. And there's so many ways to do that, many of which are the nuggets that are to follow, because we could arguably say that number four and number five really help you on the people front. And there's simple soft skills that we just don't do enough of. And if we did more of them, then we'd be able to get better results. Number four, the fourth nugget to having a great attitude is to say thank you more often. To say thank you more often. Cicero said that a thankful heart is the parent of all virtues. I want you to realize right now that I think this idea of gratitude is huge. I don't think enough salespeople are demonstrating their gratefulness for the relationships 
and for the business. There's not enough follow-up. There's not enough handwritten thank you cards. There's not enough of any of that going on right now. And typically, the only time that it really gets manifested is when you get business. But I'm telling you that more important than saying thank you when you get the business is saying thank you as a matter of course. It's a matter of how you operate. It's the DNA of who you are as a salesperson. Seneca said that he who receives a benefit with gratitude repays the first installment on his debt. And so three simple thoughts here that probably you could agree as you hear them can be improved by you. Number one, say thanks for every opportunity. I really believe that you cannot say thank you enough. And I think that when you say thank you for opportunity, it sets you up to someday say thank you for sales. I'll give you an example. Early on, one of the big contracts we got was for a bank up in Orange County, California. They were a statewide bank. And I remember after about an hour meeting, when we, Dave Aganon and myself, were down in the lobby, before we left the actual physical building, we hand-wrote six thank you cards to the six people from that bank that were in the meeting. We sealed them, stamped them, and put them in the mailbox in the bottom of the office building. We said thanks for a chance to come by. Thanks for a chance to learn more about your company. Thanks for a chance to be considered as potentially a vendor. Thanks you know, for your time. And I am convinced to this day that that set a precedent that at least continued the door being open for us to get the business. We ultimately did get the business, and that leads to number two, say thanks for every order. I don't know what you do and how you do it. I don't know if it's a voicemail. I don't know if it's a handwritten card. I don't know if you do the Bush thing, which is first President Bush, five handwritten cards a day, five days a week. He did that every single day. That was his key to building rapport with other people. And I don't know if you carry them around with you. I don't know if you make a habit of writing them, but I'm telling you right now, every time you get an order in the parking lot or on the phone, I would stop long enough to say thanks. Anytime you get something in the mail from somebody who cares about you, I'd stop long enough to say thanks. Anytime that you are the recipient of somebody else's decision, you ought to say thanks. And I like it when it's permanent than when it's not. And by that, I simply mean I like the handwritten thank you more than the voicemail thank you. Both are fine, but what lingers a little bit longer are the words that make it in print. Now, here's one that I think you absolutely have to get, and this is all about attitude. Say thanks even when you don't get the business. Say thanks even when you don't get the business. And I'm not talking about, well, thanks a lot, you know, have a good day, and then go call on somebody else with a negative attitude. I really mean this. I mean when somebody consciously makes a decision to not give you the business. I think you should thank them for not giving you the business. Now, you can do it in a lot of different ways. You can say thanks for the opportunity. You know, I'd like to at some point in the future be thought of as a resource to you. And you can go into the positioning law that we teach in selling, which is to continue to add value for as long as it takes for you to get that business. I remember one of the big banks that is now one of our top two clients said no to us for three years. And every time they said no, we said thanks. You know, thanks for letting us know where you are with your decision. Thanks for letting us continue to be on your radar screen. Thanks for the opportunity to learn more about what, you know, you're looking for. And it wasn't that we were just a poor sales company. It was that they were very, very ingrained with the vendor and the internal training department that they had. 
It wasn't that we were blowing it and we we're saying thanks, you know, because you gave us a chance to prove that we were losers again. It was just about, you know, we didn't get the business, but we want to have a grateful heart. Now, you can also couch these things in kind of a, you know, a humorous way or a learning way. I've written notes to people. Thanks for the opportunity of meeting with you today. And also thank you for not giving me the business. What it has forced me to do is think of what I could have done differently, if anything, to improve my sales skills. And I hope that next time we have an opportunity to meet, I might be able to demonstrate that to you. Boom. You do stuff like that and you get creative and it just shores up your attitude so much. And I don't think you can do it enough. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Aesop said that gratitude is the sign of noble souls. So that's a soft skill. The thank you discipline is really important. It helps with the people side of things. Number five, smile more often, be more cheerful, and develop more charisma. People like doing business with people that smile, that have a cheerful disposition, and that are likable. A great quote by Unknown, a smile is a light in the window of a face which shows that the heart is home. That's great. And Emerson said, of cheerfulness or good temper, the more it is spent, the more of it remains. Here's how it works. It's pretty simple. When you smile, so do your prospects. When you are cheerful, so are your prospects. When you are focused on them, they will focus on you. Always stay in their camp. What charisma is all about is it's about being your prospect's partner. What cheerfulness is all about is to let your state of physiology transcend the sales process. This is about you being outwardly cheerful, outwardly happy, outwardly excited. The smile is what produces so oftentimes that kind of attitude. So the five-second rule, the 10-second rule, smile five to 10 seconds before you approach somebody. It's critical. Be happy about making a call. What's in it for them, not you? Remember their names. Be a name rememberer. Be outward. Certain studies have said that it's not uncommon that sales are advanced when there is an appropriate yet physical touch. It can be a handshake. It can be a handshake with a little touch on the arm. Lots of different social skills on how to make that work. But there's a physiological as well as a psychological element to charisma and rapport building. But if you smile, your prospects are going to smile. When you're happy, they're going to be happy. When you focus on them, they will then focus on you. Here's another great way to have a great attitude. It's a little teeny nugget that could add zeros to your biweekly paychecks or your monthly commissions. Ask more questions. Robert Lynn said, the great pleasure of ignorance is the pleasure of asking questions. I have to tell you something. This is one of my big, big faves. I really believe that an attitude of a salesperson can be dramatically improved if all they focus on is asking questions. Don Rowe tells this story. I've just learned the most important sales lesson. Get to know your customer's problems. A local carpet dealer had committed to a regular schedule with my newspaper to coincide with a large display in our local mall. At the last minute, he called and canceled the ads. Since I did not want to lose the business, I called and asked what the problem was. It turned out he needed a phone to do the mall display, and the mall could not provide him with a hookup. I called one of my other accounts, a cellular phone company, arranged for a dealer demo for the duration of the show, and bingo, I was in business again. The carpet dealer bought the phone, the cellular dealer was happy, and I kept both accounts. But nothing would have worked out if I hadn't asked questions about my customers' problems. I think you can probably go to the bank on this one. The more questions you ask, the more positive you will be, because the more you will learn where you can help. Number seven, another nugget, get your time under control. 
Get your time under control. If there were one thing besides not getting the sale that throws most attitudes negative, it has to be the abuse, the abuse that occurs under mismanaged time. Charles Dickens said that Father Time is not always a hard parent, and though he tarries for none of his children, often lays his hand lightly on those who have used him well. Theophrastus said, our costliest expenditure is time. Shakespeare once said that better three hours too soon than a minute too late, and that's in the spirit of being on time for your appointments. Here's some truths on time that'll help you get a better attitude about it. Time is static, okay? It can't be managed. It's just going to continue marching on, and so let's just get that and get used to it. It's the law of the hourglass from my best-selling book, High Trust Selling. You've got to make your moves before time runs out. Time is static. It can't be managed. Second bullet, the time you have each day is going to be used. <laughs> That's important for you to understand. It's going to be used. Okay. Third bullet, someone will decide how your time is spent. And you might want to put a little note off there to the side. It better be me. Someone will decide how your time is spent. Fourth bullet, as time is lost, stress is increased, and attitude goes negative. This is why so many people end up with a bad attitude as it relates to running out of time. And then finally, the longer you operate at your limits, the poorer your attitude becomes. Here's a thought for me. Use your drive time, workout time, waiting time, any time to use your time more effectively. There are probably collectively two hours a day of drive, work, wait, and just downtime that you could use more effectively. Have your thinking pad with you. Have your cards with you. Have your articles that you want to read. Show up a half an hour early and use the lobby time to get you know up to speed on some reading that you need to do. Plan. Plan the time effectively to use it effectively. Number eight, seek more knowledge. I'm telling you right now, there is a relationship between knowledge and a positive attitude in the field of selling. Sir John Harrington said, books give not wisdom where there was none before, but where some is, there reading makes it more. That's so powerful. Linda Kester tells this story. This motivational sales tool has lasting impact on my sales team and generates positive publicity for our company. We award salespeople a new book for their sales library for every testimonial letter they receive. With this reward, the salesperson wins with a valuable testimonial to show prospects how happy other customers are with our product. Plus, we circulate these testimonials throughout the company and present the books to the salespeople at a sales meeting so they get recognition for a job well done. The company benefits by keeping a master book of testimonial letters to help when we solicit a national account. What's more, this program educates our salespeople. They're more eager to read books they've won, and it motivates them at the same time. I reflect recently on our Sales Mastery event, and one of the big things that came flying off the stage to over 2,400 sales professionals came from Linda Davidson and her partner, Christine. They are running a solid business down in the state of Texas, and one of the things that keeps that team growing is that they are on a book reading program. And I think every single employee, let alone the salesperson that is listening to the Selling Edge right now, you I think everybody improves their attitude when they improve their knowledge. When you know answers, when you know how, when you know things, when you're actively engaged in improving because of the knowledge that you have attained, then attitude is made much more positive. Finally, number nine, be a person of integrity and create more trust. There is no better way to have permanent positiveness as a human being than to do everything you do with integrity and based on trust. George MacDonald said, to be trusted is a greater compliment than to be loved. 
So here are four insights on integrity. Integrity builds trust. Okay, the more honest you are with people, the more trust will be in that relationship. Integrity creates influence. Okay, the more integrity you have, the more likely people are to accept your recommendations. Integrity raises your standards. A person of integrity will always want to raise their own bar. One who has no integrity will lower it. And integrity protects your reputation. Reputation is one of the most important things you can ever gain as a salesperson. And the only way you'll gain it and be able to hold on to it is through integrity. I love the cartoon that I saw recently. It was the Washington High School varsity swim meet. The students won the competition, and to celebrate, they were going to throw the coach into the pool. At the last second, the coach yelled, hold it, I can't swim. You know, that's a perfect example of <laughs> the integrity issues here. But, you know, where can you step it up? Where can you step up honesty? Where can you step up integrity? Where can you be more real? Where can you be more authentic? Where can you be, you know, more bankable? What are the things right now that you can do to get more trust, influence, raise your standards, and improve your reputation? These things about trust, some truths on trust that I think are critical are it has to be earned. You can never look somebody in the eye and say, trust me. It has to be earned. It's never going to be demanded. I will tell you this, that trust is really important from a large-scale standpoint. But so oftentimes, the second bullet, the little things add up. It's the little things that really create a trust-based relationship. It's the calling back on time. It's the being just a little bit early. It's doing what you say you're going to do when you said you were going to do it in the way you said you would do it. It's delivering plus 1%. It's just doing a little bit more and doing that consistently. And I think one of the most profound thoughts that I've ever written down is this one. A prospect will end up trusting someone. A prospect will end up trusting someone. It ought to be you. It ought to be you. Well, James Lane Allen says that man's rise or fall, success or failure, happiness or unhappiness depends on his attitude. A man's attitude will create the situation that he imagines. Let me ask you a question. As a sales professional, what situation do you imagine? Where do you want to go professionally? Who are the prospects you'd like to call on that you're not? What are the sales numbers you'd like to make but you're still falling short? Who did you used to call on but gave up on because you had a wrong attitude? Who have you haven't terminated that you should terminate because now you have an attitude that this is about your business and that you've got to control it or somebody else will? Where do you need to dress up a little bit more? Where do you need to say thank you a little bit more? Where do you need to smile a little bit more and be a little bit more cheerful and you know have a little bit of charisma? Where do you need to listen better? Where do you need to ask more questions? See, attitude, attitude, attitude. It's one word that will change your future, and so many little things go into it. Pay attention to them, and attitude will be your friend. Thanks.